hard to find your IBS food triggers. Even when you've eliminated FODMAPs and identified a trigger during the reintroduction phase, it can be difficult to work out what that means for day-to-day -day life. Can you ever eat that food again? That's exactly what I'll cover in this episode of The Inside Knowledge. This episode is part of a mini-series where I cover each of the FODMAPs in turn, so you can either listen to them all or just the one that's most suited to you. You'll learn in each episode what foods fall into each FODMAP category, how to tackle the rest of that category once a food reaction has been identified, and when should you retest, and how to proceed day to day. Welcome to episode 25. Today I'm talking about sorbitol. It's one of the FODMAP categories and it's one I find people tend to not expect to react to. So what is a high sorbitol food? Well, it includes things like apricots, avocados, blackberries, white cabbage, peach and sweet corn. And you'll also find it as an additive in foods. It's sometimes called E420 and it's in things like packaged cakes, cough syrup, sometimes sweets and chocolates so it adds a little bit of water to the food product so that is why they tend to add it to processed foods. I'm going to talk a little bit about how sorbitol could affect your digestion then I'll go into some specifics on those foods that I mentioned with the exact amounts that increases them to a moderate FODMAP or a high FODMAP and then we'll talk about how to reintroduce the foods or how you can go about adjusting to a high sorbitol reaction. This is the first episode. I'm just going to very quickly recap on the FODMAP reintroduction process, which is once you've been a low FODMAP diet for a couple of weeks, you've found a good baseline, your digestion has normalised, then you try to do this challenge by reintroducing each of the FODMAP categories. And if you don't know what I mean by FODMAPs, go back and listen to episode 17 and 18, where I start from the beginning with an explanation of the diet. I'm assuming that you guys listening now are fully up to date with what FODMAP diet is and the reintroduction process is where we do very careful challenge to test your tolerance to certain foods. If when you did your sorbitol rechallenge exercise you chose avocado and you reacted to them then maybe you can try another sorbitol food. So what I suggest with my clients is if one of the high sorbitol foods has affected you you should wait till you recover feel better and then retest with a different food from that category. So you can either choose to retest another sorbitol food or you can come back to it at the end of your challenge process. For example, you may have tested with avocado, but actually blackberries would be okay. And it's something in the avocado that is the problem. So for example, avocados have the potential to raise histamine levels in the gut, which can for some people cause pain or bloating or diarrhea. The other thing you might test with is cabbage. That is a gas producer in some people, so white cabbage. And maybe that was the reason that you reacted, not the sorbitol content of the food. Sorbitol is one of the polyols, so there's sorbitol and mannitol, and they work in a very, very similar way. It's a naturally occurring sugar alcohol in foods, and it's even used as a laxative in high doses, which is around 20 grams per portion. So this gives you an indication of what it can do. It can draw water into the gut, and as it moves slowly through the small intestine, it osmotically draws water in. So the longer it's there, the more it draws water in. It can cause 
a higher stool volume, so like cause you to want to go more, diarrhea obviously because you've got more water in your intestines and also some bloating and gas. When we eat foods with glucose in them, glucose is normally absorbed in the upper part of our small intestine and polyols are normally only partly absorbed and then they are found throughout the small intestine so it's normal to not digest all of the polyol content of your food. The non-absorbed portion passes to the large intestine where it is fermented by our gut bacteria into short chain fatty acids. So you might have heard me talk about these before. They are really anti-inflammatory beneficial molecules that are byproducts of our gut bacteria fermenting foods that we eat and it creates a bit of gas as a byproduct as well, but also these really beneficial short chain fatty acids. So I don't want you to think this is a bad process. Some people will find they get an increase in hydrogen gas production and that does depend a little bit on the types of bacteria that are in your small and large intestine. I looked at one study where in healthy volunteers, people had an increase in hydrogen gas production after only taking as little as five grams of sorbitol. And it says people who didn't have IBS, but when they had 10 grams of sorbitol in one meal, they had gastrointestinal distress, so gas and bloating. And then it got quite severe as they got to 20 grams. And that is the level that is sometimes used as a laxative. The reason why you might be very sensitive to this process of additional water coming in to the gut and additional gas is the visceral hypersensitivity. So something that's really common in people who have IBS is this excessive sensitivity to pressure in the gut. So every time it stretches and pulls or you get a little bit of gas moving through you that's really uncomfortable, your pain receptors may be a lot more sensitive than somebody else who doesn't have IBS and it's down to that gut-brain connection. So your nervous system in your gut is on high alert and is sending significant pain messages back to your gut. I don't mean that it's not real pain, it's just that you're receiving a lot more pain messages for the same passage of food that somebody else might have that doesn't really cause them pain and that is a hallmark of having IBS. To give you a bit of a comparison with those metrics that I mentioned in the study, so that from 10 grams of sorbitol they started getting symptoms. If we look at the FODMAP ratio of sorbitol foods, it's actually only 0.2 grams of sorbitol per portion or like per meal that makes something high FODMAP. So what does this mean? What does it look like? Well, 80 grams of avocado has 0.52 of sorbitol. Now I'm saying all these numbers, of course, you'll have heard me say before that there is regional differences, seasonal differences with this FODMAP content of food. So you can try and be as specific as you like with 0.52 of a gram, but actually there is a little bit of leeway in this. So there's a bit of give and take. But just to give you an example, the levels that people were getting gastrointestinal distress, it was called, so bloating and gas, was at five grams. Now this is only one tenth of that level, 0.52 of sorbitol in 80 grams of an avocado. Not very much sorbitol. However, in people who have IBS, it can cause a reaction. And that's why they've made that level of 0.2 sorbitol, the cutoff for a FODMAP moderate portion. In comparison, apples, like 100 grams of a pink lady apple, has 0.75 grams of sorbitol. So more 
sorbitol content than an avocado and remember apples will also have a high fructose content which is why they are very high FODMAP. So I just wanted to put that into proportion that there is a tiny amount of sorbitol but for some people who have IBS that tiny amount is enough to trigger off your symptoms and that is why we need to know how much of a portion of food is considered high and low FODMAP. I'll just run down the numbers. You can write these down or come back to it if you want to because it's quite hard to find these numbers laid out. So this is all taken off the Monash University FODMAP app and it's November 2023. So they do sometimes update their numbers. So it's correct as of now. (laughs) These foods turn to high or moderate FODMAP at the following levels. So apricot is only 25 grams, avocado, 45 grams, blackberries, just seven grams. That's one berry. Cabbage, white cabbage, that's like the hard cabbage, is 100 grams. So a lot more cabbage for your sorbitol content than one blackberry. And peaches, 30 grams. Sweet corn, 63 grams. So that's just a little rundown of some of the most common foods. And if you eat more than that, like if you have two blackberries, for example, that would be considered then moderate to high FODMAPs. So if you stay at the levels that I mentioned, you will be staying at a low FODMAP level. Now, the final thing to be aware of is FODMAP stacking. So if you tend to eat a couple of different fruits and vegetables in the same meal, you may find that you're having more sorbitol than you think. For example, if you have um, some avocado, a quarter of an avocado, followed by half a peach, that could lead to a higher sorbitol meal without you realising, because you've had two low to moderate portions of sorbitol foods in one meal, and then added together, it becomes higher. Remember, with FODMAPs, you can move on to another meal later in the day, and you can still have a bit more sorbitol later on, and it won't add up. Ideally, you want to just do it by meal, not by day. So just to finish up, if you had a problem with sorbitol, there is no need to stay away from these foods forever. What you do is you remember the foods that I've mentioned, you stay at low levels of sorbitol for those. If you have a smaller portion than the amounts I mentioned, you should be fine. And you should always try to include small portions of low FODMAP foods just to get a bit of diversity. Now what you can do is to try to eat them maybe on alternate days. So instead of like the challenge you're doing three consecutive days with increasing amounts, maybe you're okay with just one day a week. Maybe you're okay in a couple of months time and that is why I suggest trying another sorbitol challenge in around six months because your tolerance can change over time. Listen in to the rest of this little mini series about FODMAP reintroductions and what to do if you've reacted to a FODMAP group.